When you think of great duos, who do you think of? Jordan and Pippen or LeBron and Dwayne Wade. I mean, I talk about basketball a lot here on this podcast, but for the Barcelona version, there's PK and Puyol or PK and Mascherano or the easy example of Xavi and Iniesta. And as you can hear from my voice, the perfect teammates aren't just professional athletes. It's cold season. I guess the flu and cold medicine, perfect teammates as well. But in this case, when it comes to growing your business, that's you and Shopify. Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. To be honest, I've been doing this show long enough. And as I mentioned, it's cold and flu season. You hear it in my voice, especially during the holiday season. So whenever it comes to this business, anything that I can set up and kind of have working in the background that I know and can trust is just plugging along without my attention. Those are the things that I really value at this point. So when my brain is foggy, all I can do is manage to turn on the microphone, talk to the guest, or just talk to myself and get out a piece of content. Everything else, having that all automated or working in the background, that's been important to keeping me sane. And that's the thing about something like Shopify. What I do love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. So no matter how big or small, how good of a month or how bad of a month, things are just the same working in the background. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is a global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs on every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tbpod, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash tbpod now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash tbpod. Welcome to the Barcelona Podcast. Bringing you the hottest breaking stories from the camp. No, as always, I'm Dan Hilton from the Barca Block team here in New York, and I'm joined across the ocean by Frances Tomas, set up in London and as seen on ESPN and BarcaBlock.com. You can follow our show with the show notes at tbpod.link backslash 42. That is again, tbpod.link backslash 42. Frances, what's on tap today? We've got plenty on tap. Uh, before we get into that, though, so this is a five-star review from jcp17 who says outstanding great work from both hosts highly recommended for those who are trying to stay on top of the latest updates from the cam no that's that was left in the usa itunes store so thank you very much gcp and then another one that says excellent podcast another five-star review by barca campeones one also from the usa and he says excellent podcast about our club thank you for your professionalism always and forever support barca so, in episode 42 of the Barcelona podcast, we will focus on analyzing the Atletico away match that was played over the weekend. Then we're going to look at the no come no, which um, is not necessarily the latest development, but I think we've got to be envious that Atletico inaugurated a couple of months ago. And then we're going to go to our favorite part of the show, which is listener questions. The Barcelona podcast 42 starts right here. And I think a good place to start as ever is with the review of that Atletico Madrid game that Barcelona had up over the weekend. It was a 1-1 draw, the goal in the 21st minute from Solon de Guez, and in the 82nd minute from Luis Suarez for Barcelona to preserve the one point. 
Some of the match stats that we'll go through. FC Barcelona with 69% of the possession, 31 to Atletico Madrid. So actually a lot like we thought it would shake out to be with Barcelona dominating possession, but that's Diego Simeone's game. Allow the other team to handle the ball and then press, keep the pressure up and try to get goals on the counterattack as the goal in the 21st minute came. Barcelona outshot Madrid 15 to 5, but shots on target 7 to 4. Both teams used all three substitutions. And obviously with more possession, Barcelona had both more turnovers and more recoveries. Now, Frances, we're going to head to our five-star players of the game. But before we do that, though, I think I want to address one of the little elephants in the room. While people can check out your player ratings on Barca blog, I think there's a player or two we're not going to talk about in your five-star rating, ratings that I do want to get to first. And so I do want to quickly touch on Andre Gomez, who... Obviously, he has had a ton of criticism since he came over from Valencia last season, and this match where he started at the wing was no different. He is being obliterated on the internet with very few defending him, and Frances, I would actually like to get into the camp very quickly, knowing he's not in your five-star players of the game. I want to get in the camp very quickly and defend him. Not a lot, because he wasn't great, but I also don't want to condemn his performance. He was playing out of position, and I don't think he was as bad as people think he is. Do you agree with that? Yes, I do. I do. I think that obviously it's not his fault that he's played in a position that's not his ideal one. Um, obviously, if the manager decided to play him in the right wing uh, in a bizarre four-four-two formation, particularly from the start, then that's not necessarily his fault. Um, I agree with you. He was not great during the first half, but then again, no one really in the team was that fantastic during that time. And then in the second half, with the inclusion of Deulofeo and Sergio Roberto, then, you know, he moved into the center and I thought he did quite a good job there. He had quite a bit of muscle and, um, you know, know-how in the middle. And he was fighting for every single ball, which is what the team needed. So, yeah, he wasn't incredible, but I did think he did a job. And particularly in the second half, he was quite useful. Yeah, and even statistically, now we know in the past we always use whoscored.com and their player ratings has him ranked over Rakitic in the midfield as well, and very similar to the grade that they gave Pusquets. He had 89% of his passes. He even got a shot on goal. And I thought, even in the air, as you mentioned, he was using his strength. And while he didn't have that creativity of Iniesta, I think that's the unfortunate thing about Gomez, is that he is being compared, I think, time and time again to Iniesta because he came in with all this hype that he's supposed to be this creative talent, that he's supposed to control the game. And he helped them with the possession they had, but he wasn't really administering any important balls. He was continuing to play horizontally. And that's the big issue Kool-Aids have more than any other, is that they're not seeing forward-thinking ingenuity from him. And it seems like that comes from a lack of confidence. We're just not seeing him take chances. But again, he's in a position where if he takes chances, then he gets criticized even more for constantly turning the ball away. And in Delefeu, who I know is also not in your five-star players of the game, when he came in in the second half, he was almost the opposite that Andre Gomez did, where he was constantly being innovative, getting down that flank, going into one-on-one positions, and getting at the attack on that back line on the right wing, yet he would get to the touchline and turn it over three or four times alone, and he just wasn't getting the final ball in. So there's two reasons why those two players are bench players on the season, aren't regular starters, but... I don't think either of them are guys that should remain on the bench and are not serviceable. I think when Valverde is rotating his players, those two both have a 
role to play. And it was Delafeu consistently being a threat that opened up the space for Sergi Roberto on the cross that he had that we'll get to in a minute. So we talked about Delafeu, talked about Gomez briefly. Let's get to what everyone actually wants to hear about, and that's your five-star players of the game. All right, let's do that then. So with one star, I've gone for Marc-Andre Ter Stegen. Um, most people would think this is a little bit harsh. Uh, in fact, 30% of our voters um, thought that he actually was the man of the match against Atleti. Um, he was tremendous, particularly in the first half. Um, he had two saves that kept Barca in the game. Um, I have opted for giving him one star simply because I want to highlight the work that other people have done. But um, as we mentioned in the previous podcast, Marc-André Ter Stegen is now consistently uh, within the top three to top five uh, goalkeepers in the world. He was imperative. He was so commanding and he was calm whenever he needed to play the ball on the floor. And, you know, he saved the team once again. So one star for him. You could argue he deserves more. But um, the people coming up, I thought, um, needed a bit more of a shout out. So... With two stars, we've got Sergio Roberto. I really did think that when Sergio Roberto and De Olufeu were both introduced into the team, the, the game changed. Um, he looked like a bit of a controversial inclusion, particularly because Semedo was subbed off. And, and to be honest, he was not really doing much wrong. So, you know, <laughs> I, I, I was following the game on Twitter and lots of people are very reactory, you know, whenever something pops up they just oh this is the worst thing in the world and Valverde's lost his marbles and what's going on but you know I think the manager we haven't known him as a Barca coach for a long time but he really does seem like he knows what he's doing and I decided to trust him and see see what came of it and yeah he proved he proved himself and the team right for introducing Roberto and De Lufeo obviously Sergio Roberto gets the stars because he was the one that provided the cross for Suarez that ended up in Barca's valuable only goal of the game. But De Lufeu could have gotten the two stars as well. So in a way, I don't know if we can do this, but I think they could both share it. Our three-star getter for today is Sergio Busquets. I thought that he was key for Barca once again. And as Sarah Salapo, who was one of our guests in a previous podcast, I think two podcasts ago, as um, tvpod.link forward slash 40, um, she kept saying that Busquets is a key to the game and I was looking even more closely at his game and he really, really was. He was attentive in defensive transitions. He was always trying to associate when trying to attack and he played a key role in keeping, you know, um, Koke, Saul and Gabi all, all on board um, and under control. He was key in order to steal the ball further at the pitch, as he has been doing throughout the season. And that really helped Barca um, get into goal-scoring positions much more often, particularly in the second half. And yeah, I think he was one of the key players once again. And in a way, he always is. So I thought we'll give him a shout-out today. Um, Dan, how are the stars feeling so far? How, how are you thinking about it? I actually slightly disagree with you on Sergio Busquets. As people have heard in the past with different shows I always like to stand up for Busquets I think he's one of the most underrated players in the world as he always has been and it seems like a broken record to always try to praise him and not really understand what he's doing and while I thought he had a good enough game I understand that if you're saying Sergio Busquets is a three is one of your is your third star that means that one of Luis Suarez Messi and Samuel Umtiti one of those three are not in your five stars at all. And so I think that's where my disagreement comes, where if we shifted 
Busquets down, though, I think Sergio Roberto and Ter Stegen have to be in your five stars. So that means, for me, Busquets is the odd man out because you're going to have two of Mtiti, Suarez, and Messi with one of them not being named. And I'm assuming that Messi's going to be one of them, so that means that one of the other two is missing. And so that's either a goal scorer or, for me, in Umtiti, who was even more crucial to cutting out those counterattacks than Busquets was. Because Busquets was the first line of defense, if you will, when they went to counterattack and got by the forwards. But Umtiti, for me, was not only important in his own right, but we'll talk about him in a little bit. PK did not have a very good game. He had one of his worst of the season. Hopefully it's just a flash in the pan and he'll be better for the next one. But with PK struggling, Umtiti was so important. And when they got by Umtiti, Ter Stegen was important behind him. So I think as much credit as we want to give Busquets all the time, this was one instance where there were other players who were even more important to snuffing out the opponent's counterattacks. So, and I feel like, again, Roberto and Ter Stegen have to be in that five and can't be taken off the list. All right. So let's see, let's see what happens then. Um, we're going to give Luis Suarez a special mention. Um, I don't know if that's allowed, but then again, no one's given us any rules. So we make up the rules as we go along. So he gets a special mention. So basically three and a half stars. But obviously that's really not allowed because that makes no sense. But anyway, special mention for Luis Suarez. I think he scored a vital goal with a precise intuitive header. Um, he was communicative in the final third. He was constantly fighting for every loose ball. And he ended up getting a goal that was vital in a very adverse situation and, you know, very hostile environment. But I don't know if that means he gets no stars. I'm not sure. Actually, I should have thought this one through, shouldn't I? Anyway, with four stars, four stars goes to Lionel Andres Messi. He was incredible, as he is pretty much in every game. Um, He didn't score, which isn't usual, considering he's already got 11 goals in La Liga. But once again, he had a protagonist role from the very beginning. He was involved in pretty much every attacking transition that Barca had during the game. And he was he was instrumental once again. He was came very close to scoring, smashed the post with a superb free kick that you know had me screaming and jumping um, all around my house. And nearly woke my um, beautiful baby daughter up, which I think I gotta be told off for, but you know, that's life. Um, and then yeah, he could have scored late in the second half but his um, his shot went inexplicably wide to the left and he never really misses anything like that so that's why it was surprising but you know it just wasn't to be but then again without even scoring Messi is always going to be a constant in a four well in a star countdown because of the influence that he has and he had once again so I think it's quite clear with what you said earlier who the five star get is going to be with the five stars from the Barcelona podcast in the Atletico game go to Samuel Umtiti. And I think that we need to ask ourselves, are we really looking at a player that's in his second year at Barca or are we looking at a FIFA World Eleven starter for the season? And I think it's probably the second, the second that we're looking at. He was a commanding beast from the very beginning. He was at the heart of Barca's every defensive situation. He was always and constantly compensating for Piquet's downfalls. Uh, as you said, Piquet was really unreliable um, at the Atletico game, perhaps because of the fact that he was constantly jeered. Um, but, you know, to be honest, that shouldn't really affect him too much. Uh, for, for, for whatever reason, Umtiti stood up as the best defensive player for Barca, uh, without a doubt. Umtiti was calm on possession. He always knew where he wanted to play the ball. 
and he was aware of his surroundings. He was strong when tackling, and there was a tackle, I think it was early in the first half, that he just sort of dived in, and I was thinking, oh, well, please be accurate with this, and he was. He was prompt when intercepting. He was really well positioned, and he could always see, oh, vast majority of the time, he could see where the Atletico forwards were going. So I really think that if Atletico didn't break as freely as they normally do, particularly against a team that dominates, which obviously was the case with us, um, he was instrumental. He was a very, very powerful commanding defender and he delivered an individual performance to remember, definitely worthy of the five stars from our show. So obviously, Frances, I I agree with the top two because I kind of made mention that it had to be Umtiti. And while I usually believe that instead of just hero-worshipping and thinking everything that Messi does is right, I like to be critical of him, I found that a lot of people online kept saying that he was dealing with fatigue and he just looked slow after Argentina, but I didn't think so at all. I think he was the guy that was pushing Barcelona forward offensively, and if there was an equalizer coming, we all felt like he was on the boot of Lionel Messi the entire game. And again, his movement and space in the middle, and with Luis Suarez... Now, we're going to talk tactics for just a second. Valverde decided to play more of a 4-4-2 and push Iniesta and Gomez out on the wing. And I guess it was odd that while Luis Suarez had a better game than we've seen him in the last few weeks, and he's still dealing with that injury, to get better out of Luis Suarez, they kind of sacrificed Iniesta and Gomez, and those two struggled a little more. And per width, Jordi Alba didn't really have a particularly great game either. One of his worst of the season, I, in my in my opinion. And so that's a question I think Valverde is going to have to answer. And goes back to what you had said earlier, how this is not a finished product tactically. So how do you get the best out of all those guys between Iniesta and Gomez? Well, not Gomez as a regular starter, but between Iniesta having to be pushed out wide or have Luis Suarez up top in more of a central role like he was against Atletico Madrid. And I think the answer for Valverde is going to be switching up the formation depending on the opponent and so he went with a more we'll say defensive 4-4-2 putting natural center midfielders out on the wing and then having everybody field and come into the middle of the field and so it was just a slobber knocker in the middle there and I guess that does give a credit more to Busquets and Rakitic and the kind of games they had and the unselfish work that they had to do just to make sure Barcelona had the possession they had for Iniesta while he was always drifting in from the left that allowed Atletico to, again, pack in the middle of the field. And I think that took a little bit away from what Barcelona was trying to do. And again, that comes at the expense of the good play of Luis Suarez. What do you think of all that, Frances? I agree. I agree. I think that what Alberto is trying to do is um, trying to work out a formation that works for him at given points. Um, I, I'm a very traditional person in pretty much everything I do. And when it comes to football and it comes to Barcelona, it's definitely a 4-3-3 that we should be playing because that's the right way to play. However, I do understand that Valverde is trying to experiment. Um, when he goes for a 4-2-3-1, that works. But obviously, there's not that many players close to the opponent goals because obviously there's only one up front, which this season has been messy. So I understand why he tried that. And then he's trying to you know go for an evolution. Against Atletico, he went for a 4-4-2. And as you said, I think the inclusion of Gomez, I think sort of response to the need of the team being very much more physical than they would have been, say, at home against, no disrespect intended, against Eibar. You know, that's what you would normally have done. But away at Atletico, you're expecting a battle, and I understand the inclusion. I don't think I would have played Gomez from the start, 
but I understand why the manager did that. But I think we are getting into a point, you know, close to November, December now, in which Valverde has tried different things and he's got different options to play with. And that's what he's trying to do. He's trying to get different variations so that the team can respond to their needs at, at given points. And that, that's what happened on Saturday. Because if you think back, the first half was um, Barca were really predictable and slow. Um, they found it really tough to push forward and break Simeone's back line. And, you know, I was looking at the stats today again, and there was only one shot in the first 25 minutes, which is puzzling for a, a team of the caliber of Barca. Um, they took way too much time to, to travel Oblak. And a bit, a bit of an aside here, Oblak is such a fantastic goalkeeper, isn't he? Um, but then Valverde changed the game once again with his substitutions. And as I said before, not everyone thought that Sergio Roberto, De Olufeo and Paulinho would change the game, but they actually did, did do that. Um, overall, I thought the most important point of the game, and you know we've gone through the individual performances, but I think the message out of the Atletico game is the fact that the team spirit is what pulled the victory, is what really pulled everything and everyone together. And it wasn't just based on individual brilliance as it has been the case sometimes, particularly in the first particularly in the first four or five games of the season when, let's just face it, Messi was the one carrying the team forward. I didn't feel this was the case. Um, obviously, it was the toughest test of the season so far, away against a really aggressive rival. And, you know, the politically charged, heavy, hostile environment the game was played under obviously didn't help us either. Um, I thought that the, the, the game was won or the point was won because of pride. And that's, you know, the team spirit did lead the way. The players showed that they're ready to put in a shift whenever it's needed. You know, it's not a ballerina football anymore, but it is people trying to, you know, be prepared to give sweat, tears and whatever is necessary to get the victory. And in this case, the point, which in a way, to me, it felt like a victory, um, given the way that the, the, the game went. Um, so, yeah, this relentless drive, and particularly after the grave, it was it was great, and that was the reason why we didn't come away from Madrid uh, with um, empty hands. And overall, it was not a fantastically beautiful game of football at all. But I did love how the team pulled together and they earned the reward, which could be very valuable in the long run in La Liga. Yeah, I'm really positive about that one point that they were able to get from this game as well. While I heard that it was a win for Real Madrid because both Athletic Madrid, Atletico Madrid, and Barcelona dropped two points. I thought that both of these teams were able to come away from this game with a point. I think it's a defensive mechanism to always say that Barcelona and Real Madrid, because they're these eternal rivals, that everything that Real Madrid does is in reference to Barcelona and vice versa. And in this game, I don't think so. I think Atletico Madrid can win the league. They have the ability to win the league. And you saw the performances of some of these players, Saul, Coque, Antoine Griezmann, Angel Correa, Diego Godin, they're all really, really, really good players that are all good enough to play for Barcelona. Every single one of those guys is good enough to swap shirts and play for the opposition team. And as you had talked about, Jan Oblak, the Slovenian goalkeeper, is quickly one of the top, top goalies in the world. I think Ter Stegen has an arg- is obviously a top 10 goalkeeper, has an argument to be a top 5 goalkeeper, but Oblak is probably a top 3 goalkeeper. That's just how good he is. He doesn't get the credit he deserves, and he's in a long line of Atletico Madrid goalkeepers behind Courtois as well that are just becoming better and better as they age. He's still in his mid-20s, and you're going to see a lot more of him, whether he's 
finish his career at Atletico or moves on like they all have before. Atletico is a very good team, and Diego Simeone has their system down to the letter, so he knew exactly how to play against Barcelona, and I agree with you. Barca getting one point is more of a point one than I think it is two points lost, and I think if they had played poorly and if they had given it away, then maybe you criticize them a little more, but I think there is credit to be given to Atletico Madrid for being the quality side they are. And as you had mentioned, we're going to transition a little bit here. The Wando Metropolitano is a difficult place to play for anybody. And while Real Madrid is going to have plenty of their support when they play there, filling it up with, again, Madridists who want to play, uh, who root for Real Madrid in the city, and they're going to fill up the stadium, that new one is a tough place to play, particularly for the likes of PK. And I would say just a little bit while he, yes, he's been at a long time and should be able to block those things out. What an intimidating arena to have to play in. And I, I don't necessarily completely blame PK either for having it get to him a little bit how coming back from the international break. No, no, I agree, I agree. Um, it's easier said than done from us sort of sitting down in the sofa, <laughs> eating popcorn and having a beer on the side. It's really easy for us to say. Of course, of course, everyone's human. And uh, PK is going through a really tough time emotionally. Um, and obviously in terms of identity, not, not the fact that he doesn't know his identity, which I think is, is very clear, but the fact that he seems to be, a, in a way, needing to hide his true feelings from the media because whichever way he expresses himself, he's going to be criticised, whether he does or whether he doesn't. And, um, you know, but that, that, that's the situation right now. And Pique hopefully, can handle it in the long run as well because I don't think this is going to die down anytime soon. Um, and if anyone wants to know anything about our feelings on politics, just go back to tvpod.link forward slash 38. That's tvpod.link forward slash 38. And you can you can have a, a bit of a listen on, as to what our opinion is on that. Um, going back to the bit on the Wanda, I was very envious, obviously. I wasn't lucky enough to go to the to this beautiful stadium that I let it go have rebuilt over the summer. But um, I've got a couple of friends that did go and they were sending me pictures throughout the game. And they were telling me how excited the Atletico Madrid fans were to have a new home. Um, obviously, they're not based in El Manzanares anymore. And the new stadium is further away from the city centre in Madrid. And in a way, whoever goes to that area of the city actually just goes to that area of the city for the game. So when you're in the way to the stadium, you just get to see fellow fans um, in a way enjoying the atmosphere and going to it and I felt a bit jealous uh, because obviously I love the Camp Nou in a way I grew, I grew up there as I've said before in the podcast going going to the matches with my family and then obviously with my brother when he played for Barca himself but yeah the Camp Nou is now over 60 years and while it does have a lot of history um, there's things that are not very practical for example the Wi-Fi that never really does work uh, which is bizarre given the fact that Barca have so much following on social media I think they're over 100 million um, in on Facebook now, which is insane. And yeah, I mean, different things don't necessarily work very well. The restaurants are not really restaurants. They're just sort of canteens on the side. You can get a hot dog and a couple, a couple of drinks, but the menu is very limited. Like you've got crisps on that and that's that. And I think that's why Barca last year decided to invest and, and plan towards the Espai Barca. And, you know, because... The Wanda Metropolitano has every chance to host a Champions League final in the near future. But if you think back at the Camp Nou, we haven't really done that since 1999. 
uh, when um, Manchester United won it in the very last minute. Before that, huge game in the 1992 Olympics and also during the 1982 World Cup. But, you know, I don't really see the Camp Nou getting any big matches anytime soon simply because we are not at the forefront of that aspect of football anymore. And, you know, I think the Spy Barca would be a, a good way to bring Barca back to the forefront of world football in that respect. Some notes that are involved with the Camp Nou re- renovations. There's going to be close to 5,000 more seats or spectators. Right now it's sitting at 99,000, about 300. It's going to be 105,000 spectators and they do promise to in their words upgrade to the modern comforts and services and i think that might have to do a lot with the wi-fi and things like that as you mentioned frances they want to make it even more street available where you maintain a level access all around the stadium and they also want to make it an integral part of basically they're creating a campus is what they're doing They're also making promises about sustainable stadiums, making it smart and green, if you will. So smart goes back to the Wi-Fi and Internet connection and technologically savvy. But then meanwhile, the green goes back towards the water, the electrical energy. And they also are going to work into creating solar energy and helping out with the environment in that regard. So FC Barcelona just trying to pick things up and upgrade the camp. No. And if they have any ideas and we're able to take any ideas from the Wanda Metropolitano, then as you mentioned, these are going to be upgrades for the better. The big question though is going to be, and this is yet to be seen, is what are going to be the costs of this and if it will have a negative impact in any way of the wallet of the club. But I would say very quickly, because of that Neymar money coming in, I think it's a manageable situation now after Neymar was sold off. Frances, would you like to head to listener questions? Yeah, before doing that, um, yes, I think some of the Neymar money could go that way. Um, but I really hope, I don't know for a fact, but that's what was presented. And <laughs> as listeners know, I'm not very convinced by the current board. So they did say that it was going to be self-funded and we wouldn't need to need to sell any of the players. But um, we have sold a very expensive player recently. So there is a, there is a possibility don't know if this will happen, that some of that money is going to go towards the stadium. Um, I just want to raise one point. Um, There are 3,500 new parking spaces being created. And I want to say from a local's perspective, that is great because um, you cannot really go to the Camp Nou driving. I mean, you can, but you shouldn't because it's impossible to get back out. Um, I remember going, when I was very, very little, going on a coach from my home city all the way to Barcelona and it was a 20 kilometer journey that took, I think it was an hour and 45 minutes each way, simply because of the sheer amount of traffic. And um, in later years, when I've been driving in with my, with my brother for, for the matches, it is impossible to park anywhere near the stadium. And we ended up parking, I would say a good 35 minute walk away from the stadium in order to get in. Um, and then obviously if you live in Barcelona or you're visiting Barcelona, it's much easier to do that via public transport, which is what I really do recommend. And um, also the fact that the museum is going to be refurbished and sort of renovated slightly. I think obviously is the most popular museum in the whole, the whole of Catalonia. And I think it's in the top three in the whole of Spain. Um, and obviously the, the more attractive the museum is, the better for visitors and, and the locals as well, because let's face it, we all love Barca, regardless of whether you live in Barcelona or beyond. If you're listening to this podcast, you clearly do. 
So the museum is definitely a destination that everyone should check out. And I, my understanding is that FCB Boutique, so the shop, is going to be turned into a mega store so that you can buy even more merchandise once you go into the stadium, which you know is what lots of people do go to stadium for, not just to watch uh, Barca win and Messi score goals, which obviously is the main attraction, but buying some souvenir to take back for your loved ones or for yourself, if you love yourself a lot, which you know I have done several times. Um, that's also a good idea. So yeah, happy to move on to the listener questions when you're ready, Dan. But uh, I thought um, our listeners would appreciate knowing a little bit more of the locals' view on the renovations. Yeah, let's get right into those listener questions. We'll start with Peña Barca of LA. Do you think Valencia FC is for real this season, moving up to second in the table? And I'll handle this one really quickly, Frances. I think that Valencia, historically, as we know, particularly at the beginning of this decade, were a really, really good side. And while the money and the backing hasn't been there and they've had some down seasons lately, they've got some good players in that team. The Italian Zaza up front, Rodrigo has been good enough to find a way back in the Spanish national team. They have some young players on the wing. Santi Mina out on the wing, and then Parejo in the middle. Guedes, the Portuguese winger who's come over from PSG on loan, he's been good as well. And then that back line, Murillo and Guerre, and then Neto in net, are a lot of pieces that Valencia have built up over the last few seasons, or they've lucked out with loans. And so right now, they are playing well enough to, as you, as we mentioned, be second in the table, four points behind Barcelona, one in front of Real Madrid, and two points in front of Atletico Madrid. And Marcelino, at 52 years young, having been appointed in July over the summer, he was a new voice, a fresh voice for the club, and they're having good success for it. And while I don't know if they can keep it up over the whole course of the season, they certainly are fighting for a top four finish, and it looks like they could do that this year. Exactly. And also, I think that the Valencia fan base is, in a way, very similar to the one from Atletico Madrid. The difference being, though, that they haven't really had a competitive enough team to get behind in the last, say, four or five years. But no, definitely really exciting. I mean, the, the game this weekend was just bizarre in the best sense of the way. It was so competitive, so much, so many um, attacking plays. And if they got enough depth in order to last the season, that would be great. Um, a bit of an aside here. I got an email from Peña Blaurana, London, which um, I'm obviously... A member of, and I'm very proud to be. And you know, big shout out to Eduard, Jeff, um, Jorge, and everyone um, in the in the Peña because you know you're doing a fantastic job, and you know we really do appreciate it. But anyway, I got an email from them before we started recording, saying that they are preparing a trip to Valencia. There's a Valencia Barça game coming up in the next month or two, and they're organizing to go down. So this is not something that we do every time. I mean, Champions League games, yes, um, the Peña Blaugrana normally um, go and support, especially if it's an away game, because uh, at the Camp Nou, let's face it, there's a lot of culés that already support the team, which is, which is understandable. But no, away, away trips, we do quite a lot of them. And it's quite unusual for Peña Blaugrana to actually send people to a La Liga game. But definitely Valencia seems to be attracting a lot of interest. And the Peña Blaugrana London will be there supporting our boys to achieve the best result they can. Let's move on to another one for you from HRC Manuel. 
Why does the coach keep using Andre Gomez? I gave my opinion earlier on the show, so Frances, you can reiterate quickly. I, I think that the coach trusts Andre Gomez because he's a good player. You know, he may not be as creative as Iniesta. He may not be as direct as, say, Neymar or Messi or Suarez are, but he's got a job to do. You know, Ivan Rakitic is another one. When he came to Barca, he added a different dimension to Barca's game that we didn't have. And Andre Gomez, if trusted, the coaches do believe that he's going to bring a different shade that other players simply don't have. He's a very tall player who's very commanding in the air. We don't have a lot of that. And when on the ball, he's got good criteria. So I know fans hate on him. And to be honest, he didn't do himself any favors given the not very good first season he had. But I do think that if trusted and given confidence, he can be a very valid player that um, will make us proud. But obviously, he needs to put his bit of work himself as well. Yeah, I know he got the start against Athletic Madrid, but you'd think that when push comes to shove, he's not in the starting 11 for Valverde, so his role really comes off the bench. And as we saw with De La Fe in the last game, what we've seen from Sergio Roberto more often than not this season, and in particular the best example of this would be Paulinho coming in. He started occasionally, but more likely than not, in big matches, Paulinho is coming in the last 10, 15, 20 minutes of a game, and Paulinho has fit that role perfectly. So if Andre Gomez can figure out how to be a really quality player for 15, 20 minutes, then he could become an important player off the bench. And that's what it comes to down to winning La Liga, winning Champions League. To win those trebles, you have to fight, figure out how to get the most out of your bench players. Yes, it's important when they start, but more importantly in those big matches, when they come in, can they change the game? And Delefeo and Roberto did that. And so Gomez, next time he's coming in on the bench, that's when I really want to see what he can figure out his role to be. All right, next one from Marlon B., Historically, FCB have not been known to purchase players in the transfer window. Do you think that will change this year? And who will they sell? Uh, no, I, I don't think they will sign anyone. I think that is not what Barca traditionally do. When we have done it, I mean, the only uh, winter signing that I can remember having an impact was Edgar Davids, I think it was 2001. So, no, it's not something that we would do. I think if anything was needed, it would be because Dembele doesn't recover well. But um, everything that I'm reading and, you know, the people that I've been talking to back in Barcelona, they're telling me that his recovery is going well and uh, he's walking already, which is great. So it won't be too long until he starts running and then back to normal and hopefully uh, have an impact, which had not been for the injury he will already be having. So I would say the January transfer window for Barca should be a no-no. And if we do have to go and sign someone, it's because some unexpected has happened. So hopefully we won't sign anyone. Kule for Life asked, will Messi be rested anytime soon? Uh, well, maybe just ask Messi, I'd say. That's probably the easier one because I think that's what Valverde has to do too. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, no, he won't be rested because he probably doesn't want to rest. And... As we said, I think it was three or four podcasts ago, we said this. Um, Messi has earned the right to play whenever he wants. Um, and if he believes that the most important thing for him to do is to play and then rest in training the next day, then 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 so be it, you know? Also, you need to think that people to go to the stadium, they want to see Messi play. Uh, people may have traveled from Australia. They may have traveled from the United States to watch Messi play. And, you know, if he's rested that day, 
for no particular reason that could be that could be disappointed i'm not saying that every player needs to be treated like that and i'm not saying that that's an ideal solution but that's what has worked for barca for the six the last six seasons and i don't think that's going to change anytime soon so i'm afraid i agree with you dan uh, unless messi really wants to rest himself he will play yeah, selfishly, as I've mentioned on the pod, I'm heading over and going to the Celta de Vigo match at the beginning of December. So we all know that Messi is going to be rested against Celta de Vigo. It's just it's it's a foregone conclusion at this point, just because I've I've announced that I'm going over, and we know that's that's what's going to happen. No, let's let's not do that. Let's have a, a a picture of you and Messi. You know, when he scores the goal, he's going to look up and say, "Dan, I love you, man. Thank you for traveling." Well, in Spanish because he doesn't speak English, so he will say that to you. Um, I'm I'm sure. Yeah, I got to brush up on, on my uh, Spanish as well to be able to translate and understand what he's saying. That would be an important part of it. Well, anyway, Rahan asks, is Umtiti now a top five center back in Europe? And then a, another question, can we bring Tiago at Camp No in January? I'll answer the second one. It's a little easier. Tiago Alcantara will not be coming to Barcelona in January. Almost a foregone conclusion. He's close to 100 million Euro player at this point. I know he's injury prone, but still in his mid-20s, and he's going to cost a whole lot of money, and that's not the kind of money that Barcelona historically, as you had said, like to splash in January. So Thiago, if he ever comes back to Camp Nou, it's going to have to be basically by his own choosing, and in a summer when Barcelona are lining up just that move and that move alone, it's going to have to be done very quickly. Mtiti, as you mentioned, he could be. It's good. I, there's a lot of good center backs out there, but Mtiti is really close to being top five. Whether he makes it into the top five obviously depends on how the other top fives around Europe are performing. I think we need to concentrate on how good he has been. He grows on a week-to-week basis. He was instrumental against Atletico um, earlier in the week. So undoubtedly, he's working towards being one of the best defenders around. But, you know, until his release clause is expanded from 60 million to something a bit more reasonable, I'm happy for people not to know he's that good. Yeah, I agree with that. You got to make sure that Mtiti is in a Barcelona uniform for a long time to come. Here's a more difficult one. I'll try to take a crack at this one first. From Luis, is there any expectation that Jose Manuel Arnith will one day be a starting 11 caliber player? And the answer to that one is probably no. He's already 22. He'll be 23 in April. And he's a left winger. But just because he might not be a starting 11 player... He has a ceiling, I think you could say, very similar to that of Pedro Rodriguez, which is a high, high ceiling. But I think while Pedro at times was a starter for Barcelona, so whether there's a different guy coming in like an Alexis Sanchez or Neymar, those guys both pushed Pedro out of the starting lineup. Ousmane and Dembele would have pushed Pedro out of the starting lineup. But he was a guy that was really important during the Pep Guardiola heyday and he wound up having a role to play in the years following before he moved to Chelsea so I think that is the ceiling for a player like Arneith already at the age of 22 but it doesn't mean that he isn't playing an important role apparently Gerard Lopez and Valverde talk about the player almost daily on his progress he scored four goals and assisted one in eight matches for Barcelona B and other than Elena has been their most important player and their best player so far this year so until Dembele comes back if he does well in the Copa del Rey next week, which, you, which as I said, all things considered, expect him to make his Barcelona first team debut then, we're going to get a lot more to know about whether or not he has a bigger role to play after that game. 
Yeah, I agree with you. I think the fact that he's been excelling in Segunda División for Barca B obviously plays in his favour. Um, I see, although he's older, I see a parallel in the development of Alanya and Arnaiz simply because they are doing a job in Segunda División and they're trying to get the team off the relegation battle. They're doing all right for now. They're middle of the table, which is good. And I really do see Arnaiz being there for the season at least. Now, obviously, as you mentioned, the Copa del Rey um, is coming up soon. I would expect both players, Alenia and Arnaiz, and I would say Cucurella as well, should be called up by the first team and be given a chance um, at the Camp Nou just to get them used to the to the expectation. And hopefully we can see so, some of them, at least a couple of them, in the first team from next season. But I think the priority this year needs to be um, getting Barca B safe as soon as possible. And if that entails them taking a starring role, even better. Yeah, I agree. We, we we talked about it all summer. The best thing for Elena's progress was to play in the Segunda Division. There are good players down there, and he's certainly doing well. And Elena is getting better seemingly each and every game and playing an important role for the youth teams and all of those youth players. And the reason also that you didn't mention Palencia is he's still coming back from injury, still not ready to go. So don't expect Palencia to get called up. Yeah, so against these lower-level teams in Copa del Rey, I expect to see a ton of these young guys, and then working in a one-time event with Iniesta or Busquets and all the things that they can learn and playing a full first-team match with guys of that caliber, that's just 90 minutes of pure hit-the-books, schoolwork, and figure out how to become a better player by playing with these really, really good players alongside you. Last question, and a little bit of a funny question, but even though it's meant in a serious light. All right, the question is, We'll remain anonymous because if this is your first time listening to the pod, we want to say welcome. But nevertheless, we got a Coutinho question. Is signing Coutinho in the January transfer window worth it? No. Yes. Signing Coutinho will be worth it, but it's not going to happen because Liverpool don't want to sell him. Um, And yeah, we are talking about Coutinho again. Yay. Well, they have a good point here. They said Coutinho will be blocked from playing the Champions League for the remainder of the season, which is true. So getting him in January wouldn't necessarily be worth it because not only can he not play in the Champions League, but as you mentioned, to get him in January where you always see more egregious transfer numbers, even higher than the summer, which with this past summer seems impossible. I don't know how much Coutinho could possibly cost in the winter. So would it be worth it? My answer is no, because long term financially, it doesn't make any sense for the club. Just wait till the summertime again and see what if that number can come down from what is it, 150 million euro, 200 million euro, whatever it may be. See if you can get that number down. But do not expect to see Coutinho in a Barcelona uniform until August of 2018 at the earliest. It, again, it just doesn't make any sense to me to try to throw out the big numbers they're going to have to to get him over the summer. So. Again, another Coutinho question. We'll keep answering that question. But if we're getting that question, that means that hopefully we're getting new listeners. And we want to thank all of those new listeners for tuning in. And please share with your friends and keep the FC Barcelona podcast going. Yes, um, I I was kidding. You know, I, we are very grateful for every question we get. And uh, we just can't try, try and be funny. Some of you may think we're not funny at all. But hopefully you do a bit because we think, I mean, I think I'm a bit funny, but not funny as in funny but funny looking sometimes um anyway uh we really are very grateful for all, all the input that we had we had a lot of questions this week and um it really does fill us with um encouragement in order to continue to develop and grow grow the podcast and bringing you the 
hottest breaking stories from the Camp Nou on a bi-weekly basis. So thank you for being there. It means everything to us. Yeah, thanks again so much for listening to the Barcelona podcast. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon at Forza Barca. Forza! Forza!